2 Corinthians, if you would join with me this morning, uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. You see, it's not a Baptist church unless we have three songs and a sermon. But we changed it today. Sorry. Um, you know, there was a time they never sang in church. Did you know that? They believed it was heathen to sing in the house of God. They wouldn't sing from a hymn book. And uh, we do now. And uh, thank God for every privilege we have to worship Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at this passage today, begin, and then next week we'll really finish. Uh, but I want to go through the entire passage. It is an excellent, excellent passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The passage of Scripture brings you hope, encouragement, comfort. This is one that does. And uh, also a challenge. Verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God, and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's a great part right there. He's, hey, what is he talking about? Jesus used the word tabernacle to refer to himself. You say it's a picture of what? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You say, why didn't he just say your body? Okay, Because it's a biblical principle he's conveying. Just as in the Bible times they would have a tabernacle where they would worship God. All right? And uh, the believer is supposed to worship God in their tabernacle. Our body is referred to as a tabernacle, okay, a dwelling place. Remember when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it, speaking of his body. Here it's speaking of the body. Uh, Paul says that our body, if our body was to fall apart, okay, if it was to be dissolved, he says we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Had a great conversation with one of my neighbors yesterday, and they were telling me about how their daughter and their son are scared to death that they're going to die of the virus. And they're so scared that they cannot walk outside. Oh, fear. Fear. Our tabernacle were dissolved. The fear of death. They're young, but they're scared to death. It says in verse 2, For in this we grow earnestly, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. He says, man, I want my heavenly clothing because this body is falling apart. Do you often we complain about our body, right? It's falling apart. It's sore. It's tired. Uh, dinosaur bed is bent and broken. That's what we like to say a lot in our house. Children love that book, Dinosaur Ben. If you haven't ever read it, uh, you, you will enjoy it. It's a great book. And uh, Dinosaur Ben is bent and broken, right? You can't. Can't find his friend's bed that's big enough for the big dinosaur. And finally, he finds a big red tent at the carnival, and he's happy. My friends, sometimes we just, in our life, we deal with things, and we feel like we're always going through pressure and trial, and we never can quite uh, enjoy it. And he says we groan, but we desire, he says, to be clothed with our house, which is from heaven. So he says, I have a purpose that's so much greater, it's so much more fulfilling, because my body, I know it's going to fall apart. And all God's people said, Amen. It's going to fall apart. By the way, you can't plastic surgery your way one day. Uh, give yourself one extra day on this earth. Through any surgery like that, uh, our body is in the hands of God. Verse 3. If so be that we be clothed, we shall be not found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, speaking again of our body, right, do groan, being burdened, not for that which we, that we be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. God wants to give us an eternal 
life, a, a body that never dies. And he's saying, my body is mortal. It's going to die. We are mortal men. We will perish. But it's going to be swallowed up in light. What a great thing. Verse 5. Now he that wrought for the self-same thing is God, who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Give everybody out. Put an earnest money down on it. It's the promise that you're going to pay that loan. The Holy Spirit is the promise God has given to you as you're a child of God. It's evidence of salvation. It's evidence of the life to come. The Holy Spirit in the belief. Verse 6. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we stay home and stay safe. What does it say? We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before, he says, the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to them he hath done, whether it be good or Bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are manifest unto God. And I trust that are manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf. That you have somewhat to answer to them that, that which glory in appearance and not in heart. He says there's these people who are looking for the outward appearance. And Paul says, look, they want the glory on the outward. And he says, they don't, they don't care about the heart, he says. But he says, we have one thing. We're trying to please God, and so we commend ourselves to your conscience. He says, we appeal to the conscience. The conscience is a beautiful thing, unless it be seen. He says, if, whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, whether we be sober, it's for your cause. It's a beautiful passage. Bear with me as we read down through it. Uh, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if he died for all, then we're all dead. The love of Christ controls, the love of Christ modifies and changes the way we live. It literally filters out the bad and puts in the good. It's a beautiful thing. You have a strainer in your kitchen, right? You pour those vegetables through there, let the water out, and the vegetables are in there. The love of Christ ought to change the way in which we live, removing the, removing the bad and letting the good grow. Verse 15, that he died for all. I love that. If you are in a habit of marking your Bible, that he died for all. I love that. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, now, now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and we all read it together, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you believe that, if you believe that, we say amen. And my friend, is it a reality? Is it a reality? Let's go on. Verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath... Would you read the next word? Hmm us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of what? 
with that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto him, and committed unto us the word of what? Your Bible, you ought to write on the front of it, word of reconciliation. Word of reconciliation. No, huh? It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? He goes to another nation and represents the people of the country from which he is from. He says, you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You're in a foreign country in this world, and you're representing Christ to foreign people, to a foreign nation, to uh, people that are going to reject him, but you're representing him with joy. He says in verse 20, we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye, what does he say? To God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. My friend, what a beautiful truth. He says, I've given you a ministry of reconciliation. Then he gives us a command. He says, if you're going to fulfill the ministry of reconciliation, you've got to live a reconciled life. You've got to live a reconciled life. He says, be ye reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. Look, it's easy to pray, Lord, Help my neighbor get reconciled to you. That's another thing to pray, Lord, would you show me the area where I got a big, huge beam in my life and I can't see it. Lord, would you help me to see it so I can clear it up so I'll quit picking everybody else's toothpicks, okay? And I'll get deal with my beam. So I'll live a life that's pleasing to God. A permanent ministry. Our purpose guides us in life and directs the way we live. Look, the guy in love will do anything to please that future father-in-law or mother-in-law. I remember my brother a few years back. He uh, had a great task that he undertook. He went over to this family's house in our church that had an innumerable number of children, one of which he was interested in. And he went over to their house and began a construction project, and uh, the deck was, I think, almost 3,000 square feet. And he destructed that with one of those young men in the family, and he began to construct a beautiful, beautiful deck. And I wondered, what is my brother doing? Driving his truck, trailer, and all this equipment, going and helping his family out. I know they're hiring him to do it, but he's just spending so much time and labor and effort uh, working on this deck. And then you know what? When he got married, he got married in that backyard, and guess where they had the, the wedding reception? Right there on that deck, okay? And uh, my friend, they have great memories on a place that they helped build together. Um... We'll do anything if we have a purpose behind it. We have a purpose behind it. Uh, you see anything in this room that's permanent? No, it's all going to deteriorate and fall apart. Our clothes, will they be with us in eternity? No. Will our pets and livestock be with us in eternity in the world to come? No. Will our cars and house and body be there? This body? No. Will the church building be in heaven? No. Not this building. However, it's easy to live as though these things are the only things that last. Seeing these things will be dissolved, Paul says. Seeing these things will be dissolved, we live in a different manner. Look in verse 1. If the house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He says, man, there's a place that I'm preparing, 
And if there's a body, I'm preparing for you to live there, a soul that will never die. And this morning, let us look at this in our text. First, let us see the new body. The new body. In verse 2, he says, For this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. You say, how can you wear clothing? How can you wear a house? He's speaking of the body that God's going to give us. A new body for our soul. A new place for our soul to dwell. Which soul, which place are you more excited about? Are you more excited about maintaining this physical body right here? Or the eternal body to come, my friend? Living for the life to come. By the way, that eternal body won't need maintenance. It won't need to go in for doctor's checkups, thank God. It won't need to go into the emergency room. That body is eternal in the heavens. But he says, I want you to focus on the eternal, the soul. He says, we groan, we groan, we desire earnestly to live in this place called paradise, this place called heaven. Today thou shalt be with me, Jesus said, in paradise. It's a beautiful place, far more beautiful than Lake Placid, far more beautiful than anything we can imagine, my friend. It's a place of beauty, and I thank God for the beauty that he has created all around us, but heaven is far more beautiful than anything you have seen on this earth. It is a place of absolute glory and beauty. It's a place where you'll have more fun than you have on this earth. Nothing can be said, well, I like this. They won't have sports in heaven. My friend, they won't have sports in heaven. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I think it's going to be more fun watching, watching those little animals go around in heaven that have wheels and it's a body at the same time. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing those things, okay? It's going to be pretty. It's like something from the future, because it literally is. You read about it in Revelation. I mean, these animals going along and they got wheels and they have all these four heads, and, and they're looking all these different directions. You say, what in the world's all that? I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. And there's going to be light, and there's going to be beauty, because it's heaven, my friend. It's the presence of the king. Verse 6, therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Paul says we're living in this place where we're separated from Jesus. Presently, we're not in his presence. We live in a in terms of physically, okay? Spiritually, we are by the Holy Spirit. But he's saying right now we're in a place of suffering. There's turmoil, there's trouble, there's physical ailments, there's death, there's separation. But in heaven, it is a place where there is a new body, the new body. Secondly, this morning, we see the witness of the Spirit. Look in verse 5, the witness of the Spirit. Now, he that hath brought for the selfsame thing is God. So God does this, who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, I thank God for the Holy Spirit of God. Man, without the Holy Spirit of God, it'd be a miserable world. I thank God for the Spirit of God that restrains the believer of God from doing things that would displease God. Did you get that? Are you thankful for the Spirit of God that restrains you from doing things you ought not to do? The Spirit of God that convicts you when you do something you should not, amen, and brings you back to right standing in the presence of God. Is your Jesus, my friend, is your Jesus neutered? You say, what does that have to do with anything? We serve in this nation a God that is neutered. If he's the Son of God, if he has been born again, then why didn't we receive a new nature? Come on. As a Christian, we ought to have a little bit of joy. We ought to have a little bit of peace. We ought to have more love than the unbeliever. We ought to have a smile on our face. 
We ought to be happy around the things of God. We ought to be excited about Jesus Christ, the spirit you have, my friend, towards the leaders God puts in your life shows how spiritual you and I are. We can't be angry at the president. Okay, he's not listening. We cannot be angry at these politicians. They've been bought out. We can't be angry at all these other people in our life. We can't live a life of anger and frustration at them. My friend, these authorities God has placed over us in government, we have to be thankful for where we are in life. And by the way, our attitude demonstrates our altitude. Remember when Moses met with God? He had a what? A holy glow. Friends, the spirit of life brings vitality. It does not bring contention. The evidence of the spirit is proof, is proof that we have been saved. The evidence of the spirit is proof that we have been saved. See, if any man be in Christ, he is, he says, a new creature. All things are passed away, in verse 17. Behold, all things are become new. Totally impossible in our own strength. Totally impossible. I can't live the crucified life. Neither can you without the Spirit of God. And so, you say, what do we do? Stop trying to do your own strength, amen? And say, Lord, I need your strength today to respond to my spiritual man. We have so much to be thankful for. Can you think of anything to be thankful for? You said just a minute ago we shared things to be thankful for, right? We all have so much to be thankful for. Aren't you thankful for life? Aren't you thankful that you're here in the house of God, you can hear the word of God. You don't have to be in China where the Bible, they just rewrote it in 2019. You know what their Bible says when Jesus was there with the woman in John chapter 8? The woman comes to Jesus and she says, uh, uh, she stands there before him and they accuse her of having committed adultery. And the Bible tells us that that woman who was accused in adultery, Jesus said, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. They all walked out and Jesus said to her that he forgave her. He said, go and sin no more. They rewrote the Bible. We were just reading it this morning in the Voice of the Martyrs. You know what they rewrote it to say? After all those men went out, Jesus picked up rocks and stoned her, and then he said, I also have sinned. And that's what's coming to America. They rewrote the Bible to remove the truth of God. We thank God for his word. What a blessing. We have so much to be thankful for. Uh, God has, in his mercy, sent us leaders. God has, in his mercy, sent us spiritual leaders. Aren't you thankful that God sent you somebody that led you to Christ? I mean, you didn't just naturally get saved all of your own, maybe, right? I mean, you just one day you were just walking down the street, you never heard the Bible, nobody had ever told you about Jesus, and you just magically got saved. That may have happened to you, but it's highly unlikely. Most everybody in this room, somebody prayed with you, somebody led you to Christ, if you're saved. Somebody brought you to the faith. And we ought to thank God. We ought to thank God that God has given our church a pastor, my friend. We ought to thank God that God has given our church somebody who has a plan to reach Granville for Christ. We ought to thank God that God sent hundreds of visitors to our church. A lot of churches never see visitors. Isn't that true? A lot of churches never do. God has enabled our church giving to increase during the last year, the time of COVID. God has allowed our church in the last four years to save an average of $487 per week. To save that much. 
Never happened before in the history of this church. God has allowed our church to save an average of $76 in our missions account every week during the same period. In the past 13 months, God has literally filled our church with new people who are thirsty for the truth. My friend, if these things don't excite you, your heart's not right with God. Our spirit should rejoice because God's people are memorizing His Word. I mean, I get excited when somebody wants to memorize the Word of God. Uh, I get discouraged when people say, I, I'm not going to memorize the Word of God. Um, I'm not going to memorize the Word of God. Uh, it's amazing we remember the news headlines from last week. We remember uh, who won the sports game, but we can't remember, seem to remember a reference in the Word of God. Our spirit should rejoice because we see souls around us coming to life, to the light of God's Word. The spirit within us should cause us to rejoice that children are in the house of God. It's a great thing when children come to God's house. Our spirit should cause us to rejoice that so many of the women in our church have seen their lost husbands visit church for the first time this year. That ought to make you excited. And by the way, you ought to just focus on those types of things. Friend, in heaven, all the things that concern you will not matter. Only the souls that have been won to Christ. Only the souls that have been won to Christ. Let's look at this because we think of the Spirit of God. And let's look at Acts in chapter 5. Acts in chapter 5. The Spirit of God brings life and vitality to the house of God. When the Spirit of God is absent, the same happens. There is, there is the Spirit of the other one, of the evil one. Acts chapter 5, there was a man named Ananias, and his wife was Sapphira. The Bible says in verse 2, And kept back part of the price... His wife also being privy to it and bought us, brought it to a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, in this time in Acts, they were giving everything that they had to the work of God, everything that they had. He sold a piece of property and he said, I only made so much. And he lied. And in verse 3, why hath Satan filled thine part too? He says, Lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Well, it remained. Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy power? Why hast thou done this thing, conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast lied unto men. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Back in verse 3, we see, he lied to the who? When we lie, we're lying to the Holy Ghost. It's a very scary thing to lie to the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, these apostles do so many miracles. And in verse 17, the high priest rose up, and them that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, which, by the way, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't believe that the body would be resurrected. They didn't believe that the bodies would be resurrected in the future. And it says, and they were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. You see, the apostles are locked up for preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit has just been quenched earlier, but there was, there was rebuke, and those people died. Then you move on. The apostles are locked up for doing right, and God delivers them miraculously, and they go and preach. And it reminds me of what's happening in Canada right now. They go and preach. So thank God for people who are standing for Christ in the midst of persecution. And if you go on down in verse 28, it says, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in that name, this name, 
And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So you're, they're saying, look, you're holding us responsible for the fact that we killed Jesus. And we don't like it. Because they killed Jesus. And they knew they were guilty. The apostles were teaching the truth. And in verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey our governor rather than men. That's what the people of God said this year. And uh, then it says in verse 30, God, our fathers, raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on the tree. And him hath God exalted with the right, on his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Hang on a second. Look at that verse, verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so also is the who? Whom God hath given to who? Them that what? Obey it. So, an evidence of that I'm born again is that we obey God. We can go through all the things God commands us to do, but He always commands us to be respectful to leaders. They were caught to the heart and took them to counsel to slay them. Verse 34. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. And he had reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. He said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves, which he intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up that he is boasting himself to be somebody, about whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, uh, who, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this rose up, rose up Judas in Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, we all read it together, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. Paul says we are laborers together with God. We're either laboring with God or laboring against God. He says do not oppose the work of God, because if you do you will be found to fight against God. He says if these men are doing the work of God, it will come to pass. If they're doing the work of men, he will fall apart. Now, do you believe Moses was a man of God? Was Moses a man of God? But Moses got time and place in his life for the people of God drove him to such a point, the meekest man sinned and spake, the Bible says, unadvisedly with his lips. It is possible for uh, someone who is in leadership to sin because the people that were following them drove them to a point of despair. The Spirit of God will never lead us to oppose the work of God. See, it's the Spirit of God, the witness of the Spirit. The evidence that we are a Christian is that we do not oppose the work of God. We must choose to be laborers with God. As Henry Blackery wisely taught in his study, he said, you ought to see where God's working, then you ought to find that place, and you ought to get involved where God is working. You see people excited about Jesus, you ought to join in and be a part of that. You ought to get excited about what God's excited about. I love Henry Blackwood's series, what a tremendous series uh, church did back in Georgia, and it helped me as a young teenager in my walk with God. The witness of the Spirit of God. Let's go back to Acts, or... Um, Corinthians, and let's look at one more thought as we continue in the text this morning. We see in this text that there is this pressing zeal, this pressing 
zeal, the evidence of the Spirit is proof of salvation. Uh, no spirit, no salvation. Spirit is proof of salvation. The Spirit never leads us to oppose the work of God. And now the pressing zeal. The pressing zeal. Wherefore, verse 9 says, We, man, right? We labor, he says, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. In the United States of America, church attendance has fallen drastically all across the nation. Worldwide, church attendance has fallen and is never going to rebound unless we have a revival. And my friend, he says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. He says, we've got to be diligent. We've got to be zealous. We've got to follow after the things of God. Oppressing zeal. What gets the well done in heaven? He said, in heaven, the Lord's going to reward us for faithfulness. I tell you, the Lord is not going to reward me for any years that I had a faithful, crappy attitude. Okay? He won't reward me for that. Uh, and by the way, the Lord rewards a sweet spirit. Because it's way more, uh, faithfulness is way more than just sitting through a couple of lectures a week and never letting the truth enter or change your heart. Uh, the love of Christ is the motivation. And so he says, we're going to, verse 9, he says, we're going to labor because we want to, he says, present or absent, that we might be, he says, accepted of him. Now look, if you struggle with anxiety and worry, I want you to understand a very simple truth. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation that which are in Christ. If you're living a life and you say, Lord, every day, Lord, I seek to surrender to you, you'll mess up, you'll fall. But if you live a life and surrender to God and surrender to God's leaders, you will be blessed. Okay? Hands down, you will be blessed. Don't live a life of fear and worry about the little details. God will show you those if you stay in the Word of God. But he says we labor, we desire, we thrive to be accepted of him. Verse 10, for we must all appear... We must all appear where? At the judgment seat of Christ. My friend, the nations of the world have conspired against Christ, but he is greater than all these things. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's a day coming, a reckoning day, I thank God for that day. A day in which wrongs will be made right. A day in which rewards will be given. A day in which God will set the record straight. Um, the love of Christ, verse 14, he says constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one dies for all, then we're all dead. So we live a life of death because Jesus is in us. You say, how can I live a life of death? It's simply every day I surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. If you've never done that for the first time, you come to Him in faith. You put your trust in the blood of Jesus. I believe He died for me. I believe He was buried. I believe He rose again. I confess Him as my Savior. I turn from my sins to the Savior. Very simple. I put my faith in Christ. From that moment on, we must live a life then of faith and dependence upon the Son of God. The love of Christ is the motivator for what we do. Because we love Christ, it enables us to go on even when there is great opposition. Because we thus judge that if he died for all, he says, then we're all dead. See, you cannot make a dead man die. The problem is it's hard to stay dead, isn't it? Living sacrifices is easy to crawl off the altar. What would Jesus do if he would have come to minister and give his life during 2020? He would have healed the sick, he would have had mega church services, and he would have condemned the religious leaders who bowed down to the plague of the Antichrist. 
Verse 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You read your Bible, you read through Revelation, my friend. We are literally on track for the end times, okay? It's coming at a rocket speed. Uh, one world currency, uh, one world government, uh, one world control, a uh, one world authority saying what you can buy or sell. It's all coming down the pike. And because we see that coming, we, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because we see that Jesus is coming soon, because we see that our days are numbered, because of all these things, we live a life seeking to convince those around us that our Jesus is real. And my friend, uh, if he's real, they will know. Amen? Uh, what a great delight, right? What a great delight when a child comes and testifies, hey, Jesus has transformed my daddy. Jesus has transformed my daddy. He's a new person. He lives different. He thinks different. He doesn't go with the same habits. He's not involved with the same things. He's a new preacher. And because of that, I want what my daddy has. That has happened in our church, and I thank God for it. That has happened. Look, my friend, if, you, if we say, I want my kids to get saved, but friend, there's a possibility that you may need to become a new creature before they'll want what you're selling. It's hard to sell new windows when our windows are broken and covered with rotting flesh. Hey, come, come buy my new windows. No evidence of new life over here, but my friend, you want my Jesus. I say I have him, but it hasn't changed one attitude in my life. You hear about the man who sold his cabin? He sold it fair and square. The, the buyer paid him the price, but he had one little negotiating deal. He left the nail hanging right beside the door as a hook. He told that future owner, he said, I just want the nail. It's the only thing I want to keep in this house. I want one nail right beside the door. He left the nail there. He came by a few weeks later and hung up an animal that he had just killed. And he left that animal hanging on that door. The new owner had bought the house, but he had not bought the nail. He had no authority over that dead animal. And before too long, that new owner moved out of the house. And the old buyer, the old seller, moved back in. The dead animal drove away the new My friend, our people around us, they need to see that our Jesus is real. We refuse to relinquish any area to Christ. It will soon become a distraction to the work that God longs to do in our hearts. It will become filled with maggots and flies, and the work of God will be hindered by our spirit. See, the seller taught us a valuable lesson. Give it all to Jesus. Don't hold any nails back. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, uh, chapter 2 tells us in verse 14 on this subject of the relationship that Christ has. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would uh, join me there. Sorry, I said the wrong name. Ephesians chapter 2. I think I'll see the key. Verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 14, the Bible says, uh, speaking of Christ, He is our source of contention. Who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Brother, the middle wall of partition between us. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what that means? 
That means that, look, Brother David, you and I, we can't have contention between us because he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. We can't live a life of contention. We've got to choose to, in the house of God, Brother David, you and I have got to choose to have a good attitude to each other. We've got to be friendly to each other each week. We've got to choose to greet each other with love each week. Why? Because he's made us a new creature. So we're not going to shun people because we decided, man, it offended me. It challenged my thinking. We have a nation full of pacifiers. You preach a whole sermon on that right there. A pacified nation. We like to get mad at the others, but my friend, we struggle with pacifiers too. And every one of us struggles with pacifier, okay? It's a pacifier nation. We've been pacified and uh, totally uh, removed from reality. He says he broke down the middle wall of partition between us. Um, uh, if your uh, loved one whom you are at odds with walked in this building, what would happen? Okay, my friend, look, there's some people in my family that they ain't saved, but if they walk in here, and if I go to their wedding or go around them, they know I'm going to I'm gonna bite my lip and try to have a good attitude, okay? Uh, we're just not going to talk about those things that come between us. Uh, because reconciliation is a self-controlled relationship. It's saying, you know what, I choose to not let this affect me right now. Doesn't mean you can stay in their presence for forever, but it means that you choose to have a good attitude. And if you're both Christians and you can't get along, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Verse 5, 15, sorry. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. By the way, this thing of rage right now across our nation is disgusting in the presence of God. It's not bringing peace. It's not going to bring unity. We're going to burn everything down unless you give us what we want. And then after you give us what we want, we're still going to burn it down because we just have a bad attitude. That, my friend, is not of God. Even, he says, the commandments, the law and the commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make himself of twain, one new man, so making peace. Jesus broke down the wall between the Gentile and the new believer. The ones who... Had, sorry, the Gentile and the Jew. He broke down this wall of partition. We say, why? Because the Jews kept the law. The Gentiles didn't keep all those laws. He's saying, look, quit focusing on these others that aren't keeping the laws. He said, they're not keeping 501 laws. I keep 501. They only keep 30. Or they only keep one, maybe the greatest law, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself, to love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor. Well, if they keep that law, if they're not keeping all these other laws, then they're not as good as I am. He's saying, stop it. Christ bridged the gap. Quit fighting. He abolished the enmity, this contention, brother. Even the law of the commandments containing ordinances were to make in himself of twain one new man. Look, we've got different philosophies, and everybody's got their philosophies of doing things, right? But that doesn't need to be a source of contention. In that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who are far off, and then there were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit into the Father. He says we have access to the Father. He broke down the wall of partition. Back in our text, it said in verse 9 that we labor to be accepted of him. So we strive and we live a life of commitment following Christ, laboring to follow and please Christ, 
increasing our service, not decreasing it, so that we might be accepted of Him. We have a comfortable Christianity. And my friend, we have an excuse for everything. The dog's always eating the homework in our spiritual life. Maybe it's time to move the homework to a new location. You understand what I mean? I mean, we just got the childish excuses. I just, I, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. And we've been begging. We've been begging God, some of us, for uh, people to be saved. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, we're going to beg God for some big things. I encourage you to be here for a time of prayer. And uh, we'll start out with requests together. We'll sing a song. And then, ladies and men, we're going to split up and we're going to pray. We're going to seek God. And uh, we often say we like prayer, but when it comes down to it, we avoid it. Let's, let's feed our prayer life. We've got to stop feeding our prayer life McDonald's chicken nuggets and expect it to produce a vine of massively healthy grapes. I mean, we feed our spiritual life these little chicken nuggets which are full of nothing but sinew. Have you had any of those? Right? It's like, ew! It's like, is this foam? Is this spring foam? I mean, good grief, man, to get more nutrition out of eating the styrofoam. You're going to get more nutrition out of eating the box than you will out of those things. Store them under the seat of your car for 10 years and it never attracted a maggot or a bug. But yet, my friend, if you get a vine of fresh grapes, they're gonna spoil quickly. They're gonna have, they're gonna have, if you plant that vine and you let that vine grow, my friend, it'll continue to produce for decades to come. God wants us to live a life of reconciliation. Next week we're gonna pick up on verse 18. He says, all things are of God, who is reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ. And if he says, given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He had given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, God wants you and I to have a pressing zeal that says, you know what, because of the terror of the Lord, my ministry is to reach somebody for Jesus. It's a mission. It's a mission. It's a goal. It's a priority. Uh, it, it fills every conversation. Right? That should be our goal. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. But we should rise up and say, you know what? By the grace of God, I'm going to stand up. And just in a few days, uh, Saturday, I believe it's May the 15th, right? And May the 15th, I can invite them all to do a nice little craft fair. And we're going to have an opportunity to have a little booth there and give out free coffee and be able to talk to people about the Lord. And I encourage you, my friend, plan to be a part of something like this. Plan to be a part of it. If you're interested, uh, let me know if you want to be a part of that. And uh, my friend, it's an exciting thing to share with others what Jesus has done for us. But you know what? If we're not excited about the work of God, if we're not excited about the Word of God that we are hearing on a weekly basis, it's kind of like 99% impossible to get anybody to come to the house of God. Because you can't get anybody to come to something that you are not excited about. Uh, when you go for a walk this week with your friends and your, your neighbors, uh, by the way, what you talk with them about will show them what you think of your Jesus and what you think of the house of God. Uh, my friend, they ought to only hear uh, of the good and they ought to only hear of the greatness of God. They ought to only hear of the great things that God is doing. And we've rehashed a few of those today. There are hundreds more. God has given to us a permanent ministry of reconciliation. If you're saved... It's a 
It's a choice. It's a responsibility. And as, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we must say, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. A reconciled life. A self-controlled life. Winning souls to the King. I ask you today a simple question. Will you join the ministry of reconciliation? Will you join it? Will you join it? Will you commit today, say, by the grace of God, I'm going to serve and help in the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to live a reconciled life in this room. I'm going to live a reconciled life in the future in this room. I'm going to live a reconciled life uh, with the people who name the name of Christ. And we're going to live a reconciled life in our community, reconciling men to God by the grace of God. Friend, I want to ask you this, because we think of reconciliation as a relationship. Living a reconciled life. Would you care? Would you care if you knew somebody in this room that struggled with suicide in the past year? Would you care? Would you care if you knew that two people in this room struggled with suicide in the past year and that you could have helped them if you didn't? Would you care? Would you care if you knew that because of your contentious spirit, you have caused the people of God to be disturbed? Would you care? Would you care if you knew? Say, no struggle with suicide. Suicide is selfish, but I know. My friend, there are several people in this room who struggled with suicide this year, directly related to the rotten attitude of thinking. My friend, it's time to say, you know what, we're going to quit fighting. We're going to strive together for the work of God. We're going, to, we're going to labor that we might be accepted of Him. We're going to love like Jesus loved. We're going to be a reconciler. And by the way, if you can't live reconciled in the house of God, you'll never reconcile anybody else to God. You'll never reconcile anybody else to God. You ought to care about those God's put around you. You ought to love them. It's a command. And I tell you, it ought to concern you when you see people only live for themselves and their few friends, and they live their life that way. It's just sad. Never once asking about the needs of others, only about their friends. And it's myopic vision. And we need to have a different attitude. It says, you know what? I'm going to commit to learn self-control. And I'm going to love and I'm going to care for the souls God's put in my path. I know there's way more than just two people in the room that struggle with suicidal thoughts this year. And my friends, the spirit-controlled life is a biblical thing. But as people of God in the house of God, we ought to learn to have a great attitude, not a condemning, critical attitude, uh, trying to find something to pick at about everything. A faithless spirit and a strong prayer life just don't go together. A faithless spirit. We've got to have a spirit of faith. Look, it's either all of faith or it's all of unbelief. When God writes the final chapter, and our lives are now in heaven. We have but one life. Choose to live it, reconcile and turn to God. Let's stand every head bowed, every eye closed. I invite you to join us in the front. I invite you to pray. And I invite you to today say, Lord, forgive, Lord, cleanse, Lord, purify, Lord, help. No uh, call this morning, no altar call officially. Uh, in terms of, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you to respond to the Holy Spirit of God. And those of you watching by way of live stream, 
Thank you for watching. May God bless you. Close the live stream out at this time. The rest of us here in the house of God, um, let's, let's take a moment right now. Let's come forward and pray. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And this morning, let's take a moment right now and ask God, Lord, would you help us have a spirit of vitality and life instead of a spirit of condemnation, a spirit that pleases Christ, a spirit that others would want to have because Christ is risen. The piano begins to play. Would you please consider the Lord this morning, please? Let's respond to him.